Hebrews 3 in God's Word. Therefore, holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest, whom we confess. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of great, greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, testifying to what would be said in the future. But Christ is faithful as a son over God's house, and we are his house if we hold on to our courage and hope of which we boast. So, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert, where your fathers tested and tried me and for 40 years saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation, and I said, Their hearts are always going astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared an oath in my anger, They shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we have at first. As has just been said today, if you today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they that heard the re- and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned whose bodies fell in the desert? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. The word of the Lord. Uh, In preparing for the message today, and as you heard with Mike in conversation with Mike, this was basically Mike's message that he started that he then shared with me, and we collaborated on a little bit. So this is going to be kind of a... Twofer, you get a little bit of Mike in here and a little bit of me and see if you can find the difference. Who out there is a planner? Like you need to know the plan and you want to make sure that plan is shared with everybody so that they know the plan. Okay? Now, who are the more like, go with the flow people, the plan frustrates me. Do we really need a plan? Because we can't have fun if we have a plan. Anybody have a guess which one I am? What? Second. You all know me too well already. Good job. Yes, I am definitely number two. Plans kind of frustrate me a little bit. Because, you know, you got to be free to move. you got to do the things. Have the opportunities to experience as they come up to you. Uh, She would not be afraid or be fearful for me to share this, but Courtney is a planner. If you were paying attention, she raised her hand. This came to the greatest head when we were planning our planning our 15-year uh, anniversary trip to Hawaii. 15? No. 10? Thank you. It 
It feels long now. I just want 15 to come because it's great. When we were planning our 10-year anniversary trip to Hawaii, she keeps me honest, friends. This is why I married her. And me being the not planner and going to Hawaii, I'm like, I don't want to like do all of these things in Hawaii. Like, I just want to relax, go to the beach, enjoy the time. And she's like, but we're in Hawaii. We can do all of these things. We have all of these opportunities. So being the good, reasonably honest married couple that we are, we sat down and we talked about it. And we kind of came up with the plan. And the plan basically was, like, I just didn't want to rush anywhere. We can do things. Let's plan a couple things. But let's not make it, you know, we're running across the island to get from snorkeling to this other thing that we want to do. Like, let's do one thing that day, and that's what we're doing. And Courtney's like, good. We have a plan. That's awesome. And she can work with that plan. In, in today's message and through the reading that we heard, I think it's helpful for us that we can understand God's plan and his fulfillment of that plan through the Bible and through what we've read today. Thankfully, not only in the verse, we get some help with this in some of the foundational Presbyterian documents. We're talking about foundations of faith, and a lot of the church fathers and mothers who have gone before us have kind of codified some of these things to help us out already. In 1560, the Scottish church got together and wrote the Scots Confession. And chapter 4 of the Scots Confession says this. Of the revelation of the promise. For this we constantly believe that God, after the fearful and horrible defection of man from his obedience, did seek Adam again. Call upon him, rebuke his sin, convict him of the same, and in the end made unto him a most joyful promise that the seed of the woman should break down the serpent's head, that is, he should destroy the works of the devil. And what I love about that confession is that point is that God did seek Adam again. That Adam's sin and Adam and Eve's sin in the beginning did not frustrate God's plan. Do not limit the fulfillment of God's plan, but God sought Adam again in order that his plan would be fulfilled. And also in our EPC, the essential number four that we have says this, being estranged from God and condemned by our sinfulness, our salvation is wholly dependent upon the work of God's free grace. God credits his righteousness to those who put their faith in Christ alone for their salvation and thereby justifies them in his sight. Only such as are born of the Holy Spirit and receive Jesus Christ, become children of God and heirs of eternal life. In all of this, in these foundational documents, we get the, the hint of God's plan and his ultimate fulfillment is that he wants to save his people. He wants to give us salvation. He wants to be, most importantly, in relationship with us. And as we look through the verses today from Hebrews chapter 3, we'll see that this is demonstrated and reflected in relationships that are shown to us in these verses that Gita has already read. And if I was to sum up everything I wanted to get across today, it would be basically this main point. God's plan is and has always been for a relationship with humanity. 
And Jesus is the mediator of that relationship. I'll say it again. God's plan is and has always been for a relationship with humanity. And Jesus is the mediator of that relationship. So I want to explore a couple different relationships and kind of links in the chain that we see in these verses in Hebrews chapter 3 today. And first of all, that is our relationship to Jesus. Hebrews 3 verse 1 that Gita read says this again, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. If you remember last week from Hebrews chapter 2, it ended in a very similar way. Hebrews 2.17 says, Therefore he had become like his brothers and sisters in every respect. Talking about Jesus. And here the author and preacher of Hebrews continues with this image of brothers and sisters and talking about our relationship to Jesus. Jesus had to become like us to help us. He had to become like a brother and sister for us. And in that, we get to share this heavenly calling, this calling to somewhere else that is beyond where we're at right now, which ultimately points in all of the directions that we're going to see linked together today, pointing towards heaven. So first of all, us to Jesus. We are Jesus's holy brothers and sisters. Most of us have some brothers and sisters in our family. That's the family we were given, some people say. We kind of have to love them. When I was, I was born, I came along much later in the line of my family. I was born 13 years after my closest sibling, my brother. And one time I, when I was older, I had this conversation with my brother. I was like, what was, it, what was it like growing up with me? Like, I was so small and you were older. And like, what was that like? He's like, you just busted into my room and broke everything. <laughs> like, you were kind of annoying. I was like, but that changed, right? Like, we like hanging out. He goes, yeah, I don't know. Like, at some point, you, you just became cool. Like, oh, he loves me. But, like, that's the family that we're given. And I think we have to learn to love each other in those ways that sometimes when it's hard and it's rough, but there's those moments when, like, oh, I, you're a person and I love you and I want to take care of you and I want to seek the best for you. And that's the way this works with Jesus in being our brother and sister. This isn't necessarily the family that Jesus was given. But as we've seen demonstrated in what we talked about last week and what we're going to go through today, this is the family that Jesus chose. He wanted to come down. He wanted to reunite God's family and God's people in this way. In this way, Jesus makes us all holy brothers and sisters. We're all a family in here. Look around. This is the family you get to have. This is the family I need. And in that, we are called, all of us, to fix our thoughts on Jesus together. We all are to work together to focus on Jesus as the pioneer of our faith. If we're doing this all together, if we're working together as a church to encourage each and every one of us to fix our eyes on Jesus, powerful things happen. Amazing things happen. Nevada County can be changed if we as a church are working together in unity as a family, as holy brothers and sisters, to focus on Christ together. 
What does it mean to be holy, though? We are holy only through Christ. It's the identity that he gives us. But what does it mean for us to be holy brothers and sisters? We say holy a lot. We sing it. But do we really know what it means? I looked up some definitions for it, and it says, To be holy is the quality possessed by things and persons that could approach a divinity or could approach a God. And in the Bible, things that are considered holy are things that are dedicated to God, sacred, reserved for God and for God's service. This is what Jesus makes us as holy brothers and sisters. We are sacred and reserved for his service. I don't know if when you were growing up, you remember something in your house, usually around meals or some kind of place setting, that only came out when guests came over. Something special. Or something that only came out in a very specific part of the season and on special occasions. I asked Courtney if there was something that she remembered around her house that came out, and she said it was this. Anybody know what these are? Christmas plates. Bye, I heard it. Spode. I had no idea what these were when I first got married. And she's like, these are the Spode Christmas plates. I'm like, what are they? But for her, they were deeply special and significant and almost sacred because they only came out at Christmas. This was the sign of the season around her house. This meant the things were different. Things had changed. This was a special and sacred time because we get to use the Spode dishes. Yeah. And the, the best part about it is, is we get them. We have them now. Her mom gave them to us. So we get to use them in the same way around our household, continuing the tradition and the sacredness of what those plates mean and what is it like to bring them out and to be dedicated for a special use. That's who we are, church. And we get to do it every day. We don't just have to come out at Christmas, to come out at Easter. Yeah, we want to tell the big story then. But every day God calls us to be set apart for his sacred purposes, his holy family, his holy brothers and sisters. The author N.T. Wright says it this way in his commentary, Hebrews for Everyone. It's the first big point that the writer wants his readers to grasp. That the purpose which God was working out through the long years of Israel's history with Moses and the Exodus among the key founding people and moments really has reached its goal in Jesus. This means that those who belong to Jesus in the present really are God's holy ones. A title which would before this have been reserved for the Jews who were strict in their adherence to the laws of Moses. We get the image of that as God working with the Israelites and the Jews as they wander through the wilderness and through the kingdom that God desperately wanted them to be his holy ones. And now we, through Jesus, get the call to do that. We get to be invited into that family and into that calling. And we get to be his church. So that's us to Jesus. Now we get to hear a little bit about Jesus to us. Kind of we're linked to him. What does that mean? Well, if we're all brothers and sisters in this holy calling to Jesus, Jesus is our faithful brother. Jesus is the faithful older brother, which you could probably contrast to the older brother in the story of the Good Samaritan. Not the Good Samaritan, the prodigal son. 
If you're familiar with the story, it's the younger son who comes, asks his father, hey, give me my share of the inheritance so I can use it. The father very graciously gives it to him, and the younger son wanders off and squanders it until he has absolutely nothing and is at his very last moment decides, I want to go back. And when he goes back, he's prepared to say, just make me a servant in your house, dad. That's all I'm worthy of right now. But instead, the father runs out from the road, meets him, hugs him, is so thankful that he's back, puts the family robe and the ring on his finger, says, kill the fatted calf, we're having a party, my lost son has come home. And in the shadows is the older brother, arms crossed, watching all of this happen, being like, what about me? What about me? Doesn't even go into the party. Sits outside. The dad has to come out and find him. The dad says, son, what, what's wrong? Come join the party. The older brother says, I've been here the whole time. You've never thrown me a party. This guy goes off, squanders all your money, and you throw him a party. And the father says, you've been my son the whole time. I love you no matter what you've done. Come in and join the party. Jesus, in contrast, is the faithful older brother. Jesus is the one running down the road, looking to welcome us in as we desire to rejoin the family in the house of God. Jesus is the one who throws the family robe on our back. Jesus is the one who gives us the family ring and says, you are a part of this family. Jesus is the one who gives the command to throw a party, kill the fattened calf. Jesus is the one who comes out and serves us. And then Jesus is the one who asks if we want seconds. Jesus is the faithful older brother. Jesus is also our apostle, this verse says. I think it might be weird when we come across this and think, Jesus is an apostle? And we think of like the disciples as the apostles because they're the ones who are sent by God and by Jesus to initially carry the message. But the author of Hebrews and the preacher of Hebrews is saying, no, Jesus is our apostle. And if we go back to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2, it says, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. In these last days he has spoken to us through his Son. Jesus is the first and primary apostle. Jesus is the one whom we hear God's word given to us through and is the prime example here on earth as to what God's word looks like. He is sent from the Father to us. He is the testimony and witness of God's message and plan for humanity. He is the first and best apostle. Also, Jesus to us, as we talked about this a little bit last week, but Jesus is our high priest. He is our mediator, acting on our behalf now before the Father in the heavenly temple. He is exalted now as the greater high priest, the greater mediator, the great intercessor, and the representation of those who are in him. So that's us to Jesus, Jesus to us. We're all holy brothers and sisters. Jesus is our greater older brother, and he is our apostle and high priest. But then there's a link of the chain between Jesus 
to the Father. Jesus' relationship to the Father. Verses 2 through 5 of the verse today say, He was faithful to the one who appointed him just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. So we've got the relationship between Jesus and us, but it's important that we understand the relationship between Jesus and the Father. And what this, these verses and even in chapter 2 points out is that Jesus is faithful to everything the Father has asked him to do. At the end of chapter 2, it says that Jesus is a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. In this verse, it says Jesus was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful. Well, what's interesting is we're giving the example of Jesus talking about serving like God, serving God and being faithful and faithful like a high priest, but, and, but Moses was never a high priest. This is that Moses was faithful over God's house. It's not the temple. It's not the tabernacle, because that's never where Moses served. That was Aaron's job. So what, what is Moses faithful over as God's house? It's God's people. It's the totality of God's house. Like us being in a family, you talk about your household. It's not just the structure or the building, but it's the people that make it up. And that's what God is saying that That's what we're saying that Jesus is faithful to and being faithful over God's house as Moses was. Moses was the faithful leader of God's people out of the wilderness and out of of slavery in Egypt. This image of the house, even Jesus carries through into the New Testament. Jesus told so many parables about stewardship and what it meant to take care of the things that God had given him. And obviously in the parables, we get good examples and bad examples, like the good and bad examples in the prodigal son. But if you think about it, in in one story is the parable of the talents. You have a, a manager of a house who doles out talents to various stewards and says, take care of these while I'm gone. And you have the stewards who take care of it and multiply what they're given. And then you have the example of the steward who just takes it and buries it in the ground because he's afraid of what his master is going to do. But Jesus being a faithful steward over God's house is like those good stewards who took care of their talents and multiplied them. If we are a part of God's household and if Jesus is steward over us, guess what? Jesus wants to multiply us. Jesus wants to make us better than the state we were given to him in. He takes us, he works us, he develops us, if we let him, so that we can then return more than what it looked like we could at the outset. When we are a part of God's house, when Jesus is working on our hearts and our minds, we become greater than anything we could ever imagine together as his church and in his house. Jesus to us, Jesus to the Father, and if now you can follow that chain up, because of Jesus, we now have a relationship to the Father. 
is what the author of Hebrews is trying to get us to. Verse 6, But Christ is faithful as the Son over God's house, and we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. Because of Jesus' relationship to us, our relationship to Jesus, and Jesus' relationship to the Father, we are God's house. God dwells within us, and we are being built into his house. And this is the image that is carried all through Scripture. Exodus chapter 19 says, You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. This is carried forward to Peter's letter that he writes in 1 Peter He says, you also are like living stones being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. This is what God does for us through Jesus, and we can have this relationship with God so that we can be built into God's household, into something greater than the sum of our parts. Because God has done this for us, chosen each and every one of us in Jesus, we are being built up. And in that, because of the work of Jesus, the author of Hebrews says, we can hold on to our courage and hope. Because Jesus is the pioneer, and as we follow Jesus, we can know that God is going to see us as he sees Jesus. And if we hold on to that hope, we get some warnings from the example of Israel. That Israel didn't ultimately hold on to that hope as well as God had wanted them to. And the author of Hebrews quotes Psalm 95. And what he's encouraging the hearers and readers of this letter or this sermon to do is beginning in verse 10, it's to know his ways. We need to know God's ways. We need to understand them together. We need to follow God in the direction that he's wanting us to go. We need to turn to him, turn away from the world and the things that are distracting us. Focus our attention on God and on Jesus. We need to encourage one another daily. As brothers and sisters in God's holy household, we need to encourage each other, support each other, lift each other up. We need to share in Christ. That's kind of a weird phrase. But that means that as we follow Christ and the example that he set for us, we're going to experience things like Jesus did. We're going to experience trials and temptations and suffering and pain. But like we talked about last week, we know how Jesus' stories end. And we can have hope that God is going to do the same for us. We need to hear God's voice. We need to read his word. We need to see God's voice in Jesus and listen to it. And then also at the end, this is all promised that if we do all these things, we can enter into rest. Entering into a Sabbath rest, which is where the author of Hebrews will be taking us. God had promised Israelites rest in the land. But ultimately, they missed out on the rest because they did not follow God. They did not trust him. And it was forfeited. We get foretastes of God's Sabbath rest today a little bit when we take a break, when we read, 
when we gather together as God's people and sing songs, when you find valuable and rewarding work, have you ever like sat down and done work and kind of got lost, like time just passed? There's value and Sabbath rest in that in knowing that this work is valuable and this is what God has called me to do. And it's an ultimate foreshadowing of what we will experience into eternity. The rest and the value that God has given to us and has placed on each and every one of our lives. Talk about plans at the beginning. This week for Mike, thought he had a plan. Planned a sermon weeks ago. And he's not up here. (laughs) That's some really good conversations with Mike this week of what it means to think you have a plan but ultimately rest in what God seems to be calling us to. And if COVID is making you stay home and rest and stay with your family, maybe that's what needs to happen. And I kept telling Mike, we got it, man. Don't worry. We're here for you. Whatever needs to happen on this Sunday, we can make it happen. And you come back and you'll be rested. Because next week I'm going on vacation. (laughs) So we can do all of this this week and then we can trade. And I think the best part of this week for me was that it was worked out in relationships. That I could trust in Mike's work that he had done for this message so far. And that when we sat on the phone and talked through all of this, and I'm writing out the notes and stuff, and I'm like, oh, this sounds like this, and this sounds like this. We worked on this message together. There's both of us in here. And in our relationships with Jesus together, and then our relationship with God, that all gets fleshed out in what you've heard today. So again, just a reminder of the main point that hopefully you've seen today. That God's plan is and has always been for a relationship with humanity. And Jesus is the mediator of that relationship. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you for this opportunity just to get up and share combination of my words and Mike's words and how you've worked on each and every one of us in this message today so that ultimately what was shared today could be your words and what you wanted your people gathered here to understand. I pray that what went out today would touch the hearts and minds of everybody listening and that they could understand what it means to be not only in relationship with you but how you are transforming each and every one of us to be in relationship with each other as holy brothers and sisters, as a holy nation, as a royal priesthood being built up into your house. And that whatever we do, that we would give glory and honor to you in all things. I want to also lift up those in our community and our family who are suffering. Whether they're suffering with COVID, we can pray for Mike and his family and just the, the time of rest, but ultimately recovery that they need to get through this sickness so that they can come back and rejoin the family in the body. I pray for others who are suffering from sickness that you would reach down and touch their bodies, heal their hearts, and heal their minds. I pray for those who are struggling with grief today, that we just lift them up to you and pray that you would 
carry them and support them and uplift them and know that we as a church are carrying and uplift them too. I think specifically of more in front of me and the memorial service we'll be offering later that she can sit in your presence today and in the grief, but know that we are here for her, loving her and supporting her. I pray for just whatever needs are out there that people can lift them up to you to be a part of your Feel your love and to be a part of this community, God. That you would take care of us, uphold us, and ultimately guide us in the path that you have set before us. I ask this all in your name. So 
Savior.